Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Hour number two coming at you here on The Score. Anthony Heron, I got my guy Tyler Farringell on the ones and twos this evening. A couple hours to go. I'm not completely sure off the top of my head, Tyler, um, the the birth date, the born on date for this song. That's, that's Sledgehammer, right? That was, I'm certain, uh, before your time, which feels odd to say because I'm fairly sure the song came out at some point in the 80s. We were actually, we were watching, uh, my wife and I, we saw a movie that was on last night called, I think it's called This Boy's Life. It's got a, a young Leonardo DiCaprio and it had, um, let me see, this this boy's life. It had um, Robert De Niro and I'm forgetting the, uh, the name of the actress that plays Leo's mom, Ellen Barkin was in that movie as well. Oh, apparently Carla Cugino was in that movie too. So I didn't watch the whole thing. I saw like a glimpse of Tobey Maguire, but really the main two, I don't know if they're both antagonists or if Leo's supposed to be the protagonist and De Niro's supposed to be the antagonist, I guess is what they're trying to set up. Actually, 93. That wasn't even, uh, that wasn't the 80s. It was 1993. So that movie was in 93, but it's depicting like the, the late 50s. And so my wife and I were talking last night while that movie was on and just thinking, so today in 2023, basically if they made a movie nowadays that was pretty much the same amount of time ago, like call it, you know, 30 plus years prior to that, maybe 35 years prior to that, then we'd be talking like a, a movie set in the, the late 80s, maybe the early 90s, which just it feels odd because when you compare something that was set in the 50s versus something that was set in the 80s, it feels like there were like three or four distinctively different periods of time between then and then. Like the 50s look and feel like one period of time whenever you see them depicted on screen, as do the 60s, as do the 70s, as do the 80s and the 90s. But then I don't know if it's just because this is kind of my lifespan, but between the 90s and now doesn't really feel like it's that drastically different a time period. And I'm not completely sure why. I've never really sat down and analyzed it. But we were just thinking about that when that movie was on last night. So, Tyler, uh, Tyler Farringle, the, the song you just played coming out of break, Sledgehammer, 
What year was that song? I'm going to guess 1983. 83. Okay. Let's see. Sledgehammer was, and it's a really cool movie, by the way. 86. Peter Gabriel, Sledgehammer, 1986. So definitely well before you were born, Tyler. So I, I do respect the fact that you chose that jam to play coming out of break. And it's apropos of the individual we are preparing to discuss here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score because the man himself, the Major League Baseball home run leader at the moment, resides, well, one of them, resides on the north side of the city. Actually, let me go ahead and check the the updated stats just to make sure if anything has changed throughout the day in this particular. Nope. Pete Alonzo is still there for the Mets, eight home runs, and the man himself, Patrick Wisdom of the Chicago Cubs, eight home runs. They are tied for the major league lead. He almost got a hold of Well, he did get a hold of one today. He almost hit it out of that mammoth ballpark <laughs> out there in Oakland. I was I'm, driving in, and I was as I heard the call from Zach, I'm like, get out, get out, get out. And I was like, oh, so close. He almost had what is like fifth home run in like six games or something right. crazy like that. Right, yeah. I mean, at, at 31 years old, you know, it's kind of a like a Pedro Serrano kind of vibe. You know, I was thinking about Major League and, and just the, the Serrano character in that movie that had been in the minors a bunch that had all kinds of power but was inconsistent. Hadn't really figured things out yet. And for whatever reason, you know, once he got to the to Cleveland and in that movie, at least his character, of course, in Cleveland, Serrano kind of figured out his power bat after being in the minors for a long time. And Patrick Wisdom is kind of a a similar vibe. Well, maybe not a similar vibe, but certainly a similar power to Pedro Serrano when you think about the amount of time he spent at the minor league level and, you know, We've seen Aaron Judge as a late bloomer, you know, not quite as late as Patrick Wisdom has begun to bloom here for the Cubs, but he swung a big stick last year. He swung that sledgehammer as Tyler played coming out of break here, and he continues to swing, and he almost got he got a hold of one and almost got it out of the yard again today. It was quite a, quite a big bomb that he hit for that triple that he had in a blowout win for the Cubs. And um, I think for, for a player like Wisdom, He's one of the examples of the guys in this lineup who coming into the season, you're wondering, like, what's what's legit? Because this season there were going to be more expectations for the Cubs. And right now, I'd say the reaction around town is still such that I, I guess folks are, are able to to be pleasantly surprised at the moment and just kind of feel like, you know, like they're just enjoying what they're seeing and and feeling good about it as they should for the team who's second in the division right now, 11 and six record has won the last four series that they've played in just swept the Oakland A's. I mean, it, it feels like everything's, you know, coming up Cubs, everything's coming up wisdom right now, but the reaction from the city, I would say there's more surprise around town than I would have anticipated because there was some money spent this off season. Frankly, there's been some money spent so far in season, you know, re-upping Horner and Hap and making sure that some of this talent who's a part of what's being rebuilt here is, is going to be around for the foreseeable future. You got some other prove-it deals that are going pretty well so far, too. I'm I'm not as shocked from what we've seen so far from the Cubs. Now, the pitching staff, that, that's one thing. You know, I think there are, there are understandably some surprising elements of what's happening on the whole, but – 
you look at the way the starting pitchers have performed here just in in recent starts just against the the A's here. You know, Wisniewski went seven innings, gave up one earned run. Stroman, six innings, gave up no earned runs. You know, five Ks, couple of walks. Justin Steele today, six innings. So overall, and, and one earned run. So overall, a .95 ERA just from those three main starters in this series against Oakland. So it's not I, – I, you know, I think we should have expected that this team was going to be better. They they did spend some money for this roster, for this lineup to improve. But I think Patrick Wisdom and specifically his his continued ascension as as one of the great power hitters in the game. And great is a term that I guess it feels a bit early to use because he's you know, he, he hasn't been at it at the major league level for very long yet. But over the last couple of years, that, that's what he's been, man. I mean, it's it, I don't know why it took him as long as it has here. And that, that's a part of what he got into earlier today with the midday show. So let's hear directly from Patrick Wisdom himself, because to me, the team as a whole, I'm not as surprised by what we've seen from the Cubs. They don't look, they're not the best team in baseball, but they're playing at a high level. They're performing and winning at a much higher level than they did last season, but they should be. And it's great to see, and it's okay to enjoy it and to, to feel good about the potential that's here and the, the wonder for whether or not as, as they continue to add more health, then will they go out and spend even more if things are still looking like this months from now? But you know, still very early. So it's cool to just enjoy it. I don't think you necessarily need to be that surprised by it because this is what the Cubs told you they were planning to do. And it's good to see that a plan is now coming together. So let, let's hear from Patrick Wisdom. He was on with Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes and Layla Rahimi earlier today. They had him on the show and they talked about a variety of different things. But firstly, one of the first things they discussed was specifically about the Cubs' new hitting coach and, and what it's been like for Patrick Wisdom and some of the power success he had last season to continue that and in some ways grow that working with a coach the likes of Dustin Kelly. DK's great. Our whole hitting department is, is awesome. You go in there, you can kind of get a little bit of something from everybody in there, you know, but with DK leading the charge and being, you know, the, the head guy, if you will, uh, just great, setting the precedent every day, setting the energy and the tone, just just a great guy all around, full of confidence in you and uh, positivity, so... It's, it's been a lot of fun to work with him. Good vibes. Got a lot of good vibes, and it's certainly it's a little easier to maintain good vibes when expectations are low like they were last season. Expectations are higher, and success is being had in the midst of that, so you understand why positivity reigns there for Patrick Wisdom, for the Cubs as a whole. And so with that as the case, then how do you continue to build off of that? You game plan, folks. Now have more and more film on Patrick Wisdom, where the holes in his swing. He certainly has more on-the-job training with the matchups he, he, that he has from all the opposing pitching staffs that he sees from one series to the next. So how do you go about that? How do you go about putting your pitch plan in place from one pitcher to the next that you face? You know, that's a great question because I think it kind of changes from, you know, maybe at, you know day-to-day, at bat-to-bat pitcher to pitcher so it's just having that conversation that open conversation you know being like i just said open to to his information but also 
you know, expressing to him like, hey, this is what I feel. This is what I think I need. And that way we can get on the same page. You love it when a, a player, especially one who, you know, kind of toiled in the minors for a period of time and just wasn't putting it all together, had plenty of potential, of course, you know, a big athletic guy with a big bat, but just hadn't been able to find a way to to break through at the major league level. And so now we're witnessing Patrick Wisdom finally getting that. And and it's it's over an extended period of time. I'm, I'm I tend to be late to the party. I'm kind of late to the party when it comes to using, you know, more more broad, more sweeping, you know, sort of compliments or, or saying that he's one of the great power hitters in the game. That does feel like a a broader compliment than I might normally give, but you know, we're 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 over a season at this point of watching him do this. So I'm not saying he's one of the greatest players in the game, but this stretch that he's in right now, over a season at this point, he is hitting like one of the great power hitters in the game. And it's not slowing down yet. Now, folks are getting a more and more detailed book on Patrick Wisdom, so we'll see how he continues to respond to it. And who knows, in whatever way, for whatever reason, the light bulb came on a, a bit later at the minor league level, and now that this, this big league opportunity has come and he's seizing it, it's, it's cool to watch it play out. But, you know, I, and I'm I certainly not going to sit here and speak for for all the Cubs fans out here or anything, but I'm, I'm still in my observations of it. I'm a little bit tepid in how to go about that. And my impression in hearing Patrick Wisdom on the station today, perhaps he's still maybe a little bit, a little bit guarded, a little bit tepid about, you know, how, how confident he's willing to come off in this continuing because it did take him so long to get to this point in his career and, you know, so they were asking him a little bit about his approach, about how he's gone about things, what he's attempted to adjust. Essentially, just kind of, all right, give us, give us a little bit of the sauce here, Patrick. How did you go about making some of these adjustments? Initially, Dan was asking him about, you know, kind of hearkening back to a conversation that they had had with him before the season about his approach with two strikes and how they talked about it back then, what he's changed since then, how he's going about it. And he, you know, kind of brushed it off a little bit. And then Layla actually followed up specifically about that same topic. And he did give a little bit more, you know, meat on that bone when Layla followed up asking specifically about his approach at the plate with two strikes. Slowing everything down in terms of like your mind and your body, you know, really seeing the pitch early and seeing it late and just trusting that, you know, you're going to get your swing off and trusting your plan and your approach and your eyes when it comes to the strike zone. And, you know, umpires are are not perfect right and we're gonna get we're gonna get rung up on bad calls but it's how can you like you know mentally stay with it and you know not let that get to you when you're next to bat and, and your future bats of the night so it's it's i mean it's it's a work in progress obviously and you take it in stride but yeah each you get two strikes and you just slow everything down we saw famously anthony rizzo as a power bat able to adjust his approach with two strikes and show that all-around hitting ability. You know, we, uh, the folks on the station today were talking a bit about Frank Thomas because he he's been in, in studio a bit this week over on NBC Sports Chicago and how great Frank looks. And, you know, not every power hitter, there's very few power hitters in the history of the sport, frankly, that have been able to be Frank Thomas where you can combine that level of power with that eye that the big hurt had throughout his career at the plate and the ability to 
spray the ball to all fields, to drive it with power out of the out of the the ballpark, and you know, just not everyone can do that. But there are certain guys, and I think Anthony Rizzo was a great example of that. And we're seeing Patrick Wisdom perhaps take a little bit of a page out of that Anthony Rizzo book that we witnessed here, where Rizzo he wasn't a guy who ever hit for immensely high average. Um, and he, he would certainly strike out at times, and he'd have his physical ailments with his back and whatnot. But he was an exceptional hitter for a stretch of his career here, and certainly a stretch of time in Chicago. His two-strike approach would be where he'd choke up on the bat a little bit, and he wouldn't try to drive the ball out of the park. He would just make sure he got a, a nice, clean swing on it, barreled it up, and just get it out of the infield, just get on base. And there was a control to his true strike approach that seems to be there for Patrick Wisdom right now as well. You can tell he didn't want to necessarily give up too much in that regard. And I do think it's because, you know, he's probably a little more guarded about those things, about whatever the trade secrets may feel like for him internally, because you can tell he definitely got something figured out. You know, I'm not going to say the game's coming easy to him, but he's got something figured out. He is in a groove. And while he's feeling that groove, he doesn't want to necessarily feel like he's giving up the secret sauce here. Uh, and one last thing, Let, let's get to the, the final clip here, Tyler. It was there with it, specifically they were talking about how he, as, as an individual, what's changed about Patrick Wisdom since he first joined the Cubs back in 2021? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say that I'm a more mature player, understand the game, you know, a lot differently from a different perspective. You know, I feel like a pivotal piece of this team. Whereas in 21, you know, I got called up in, in mid-May and was playing sporadically and then, you know, finally got kind of the more starts going and then started becoming every day. But yeah, I just feel more mature, more, you know, more experienced, you know, obviously with the games played under my belt. And yeah, I just feel more of like a leader in the clubhouse and on the team, you know, along with the other great leaders we have on the team. And so I, I don't know, I just feel, you just feel more part of the team and more kind of rooted, you know, with this group of guys. I didn't want to make any assumptions just based off the way things played out last year because, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of recognizing how much the mental, the emotional, the intangible, how much that factors into success in highly competitive situations in professional athletics in a sport like baseball that requires such a, a lengthy grind to be able to sustain success over a long season in various climates and environments and facing all these different matchups on a consistent basis. And the chemistry of your clubhouse can continue to kind of evolve throughout a year. So I didn't want to assume too much from last year to this year, but some of the key additions, key acquisitions that were made since last season certainly felt really strongly that it was going to give the Cubs a much stronger chance to compete, to win this year. We're seeing that early on and, and to me, you know, it's one thing for, for Dansby Swanson to to be going off in the way that he's been going off this season or for pitchers to, to start to really come into their own and, you know, have a guy like Marcus Stroman show himself as an ace for this period of time. You know, it doesn't mean he's one of the great pitchers in the sport at the moment, but he's up to this point early in the season pitching like one of the best in the game so far and then you have the rest of the staff who's kind of coming into their own even more all these things coalescing into what we've seen so far from the Cubs I would actually find specifically Patrick Wisdom and it may feel a little bit odd because we've seen so much success over a short period of time but success from the ball club as a whole not really surprised by that but seeing Patrick Wisdom continuing what he built on last year and taking that to another level early this season I would say he specifically 
is one of the pleasant surprises of the season to me. But the team as a whole, not nearly as surprised by the, the Cubs being 11-6 and six through 17 games. I wonder if Evan Altman is surprised by what we've seen on the north side of the city here so far, and certainly what we've seen out on the left coast trip that they are preparing to return from. I will pose that question and others to him next with the Cubs Insider here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The one-two. Wisdom hits one in the air. Deep right field. Going back is Capel. At the track. Looks up. It bounces off the wall. Hap scores. Bellinger on his way to third. He rounds third. He's coming home. Here comes the throw. It's cut off. Bellinger scores. A two-run triple for Patrick Wisdom. And the Cubs now up 5-2 over the A's here in the sixth. It was almost out, but not quite there. Still ended up being base clearing triple. Patrick Wisdom, the Cubs, were able to go out and sweep the Oakland A's and all their critters that they had out there in the Bay Area. Anthony Heron here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Let's go back out to the score hotline presented by Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And Invite our guy Evan Altman onto the line here. He is of Cubs Insider. You can find that on Twitter at Real Cubs Insider. You can find Evan on Twitter at D Evan Altman. Evan, how you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I'm doing better now that I get to to just jump on here and and listen to your mellifluous voice a little <laughs> bit closer. I, I, I enjoy this. Time. I'm just I'm just here to listen to you, man. So I'll talk if I have to. All right, all right. I, I can get with that. So one thing I was uh, I was observing, and I. I don't know, man. I know there's a lot of fan bases out there that feel like they are, you know, they, that they are grieved, that they are put upon, that folks in their the ownership of their favorite teams don't care about them. I got to say, I got some friends in the Bay Area. There's more of them that are Giants fans than A's fans. But, I mean, to have, like, critters and, and varmints running around the stadium and broadcasters being moved around and using duct tape and everything like that, I didn't realize how aggrieved – A's fans had been here in recent years, man. I mean, how, how long has it been that bad out in Oakland? It's been a while. I mean, I, I want to say, I don't remember if it was last year, a couple years ago, like the sewage pipes backed up in the in the ballpark or something and, and flooded the, you know, the clubhouses or some of the area with some fairly unsavory stuff. Um, you know, the, the, it's clear. This is like the real-life version of what Cleveland was supposed to be <laughs> in Major League. 
Right. I mean, it really has the feel of like ownership is saying, we're just going to make it so bad that y'all stop showing up and then we can totally justify moving to Vegas or, or wherever it must be because it's, it's tough. That's a really passionate fan base. And we right. see that 4,700 people are showing up. And, and if you look at those games, if you see behind home plate, you'd think, oh, there's a lot of people there. Of course, most of them are Cubs fans. And then as soon as someone puts them in the outfield, it's like, oh, man, there's, there's nobody there. You know, and that that's just so tough because, you know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, watching the Bash Brothers and, mm. and all, you know, Ricky Henderson, right, and seeing all this. And, and that was that was a squad like that. That was a at a time when we didn't have all the same kind of national coverage and the ability to see whatever games we wanted. Uh, you know, so for it, it pains me, and I'm not even an A's fan, but yeah, I, I gotta think it's tough uh, being a, being an A's fan right now. And, and I just, boy, I, I feel for them. I hope something changes, but I I would imagine whatever changes is the team leaves town. But and I, from a business perspective, I, I don't even completely understand why it's necessary to try and devalue the franchise in that way or to that extent before you leave town. Like, why why not? allow your remaining fans at this moment to continue having a positive experience? Why not even pour a little bit money into the maintenance of your current stadium? And then that doesn't necessarily stop you from moving out to Las Vegas. I don't, I don't necessarily understand the strategy of it. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't really understand it either unless it's just one of these, you know, and, and I think one of the things we've seen and, and is, is trying to get public money, mm. you know, and it, it almost feels like it's spiteful. You know that that it's it's not even so much about the fans as it is maybe uh, the the city of Oakland or you know whoever's whoever's going to be involved in that. And I, I've seen different things on various proposals, and, and I'm not going to claim to be an expert by any stretch. But um, you know, and, and I mean, how many times do we see this? There, there's even a little bit of uh, kind of scuttlebutt out there that I think the Brewers, have, you know, they're trying to get public money and, and lobbying for some of this, and, and it's always a threat. You know, I, I've lived in. Indianapolis, or I used to live in Indianapolis for a while, and and that was a threat with the Colts, right? We saw that until a team finally moved back to L.A., that was something every NFL team would use, right? Oh, you better better give us some stadium funding or we're going to move. And so I think it's unfortunately just one of these plays that you see when it comes to sports ownership. It is a business, and they're they're running it to – because the real money, right, if they're not worried about the gate, obviously – the real money's in the stadium funding and, and what they can get a deal on. So, unfortunately, I think that's that's coming back to bite the folks of Oakland who have, who have you know, poured their hearts and souls into that franchise for decades and, uh, you know, might see a poof. Yeah, that's, that's the unfortunate thing, man. For a team like that that's, like you mentioned, that has such rich history and, you know, a bunch of folks who within their lifetime have witnessed deep postseason runs, World Series championships, and, here lately, I mean, they, they barely put local media rights deals together out there. It's, it's really unfortunate to watch how that portion of it is playing out there. But the team who they just who they just got swept by is uh, our squad here on the north side of the city in Chicago. And one thing I said a little bit earlier in the show, Evan, is I'm not I'm not as surprised as a lot of folks around town sound like they are by the overall success that the Cubs are having at this point in the season. They went out in the offseason. They spent some money. They got some guys who they're expecting to grow and develop. And frankly, this is what a well-run franchise should look like, where your pitch lab should develop pitchers, where you should, when you hire a new hitting coach and put you know, a new hit staff in place, 
where there should be growth from the guys at the plate. Now, specifically, what I'm if there's an individual that I'm pleasantly surprised by, this is the dude leading the major leagues in home runs right now. I'm I'm pleasantly surprised at the continued growth of Patrick Wisdom as a hitter. D- did you expect him to continue to, to mass like this this early? No, uh, I, I I definitely didn't. I mean, and not and, and I think with him, the power has never been in question, right? And and he certainly the strikeout numbers are going to be there, but you know he's only around thirty percent, right? Instead of forty or forty five or something like that that we've we've seen at times, and he's hitting two eighty, right? I mean, hey, you're going to hit, you're going to lead the league in homers, drive in, uh, you know, more runs than anybody else on the team. He's not going to draw a ton of walks. He is going to swing and miss more than most. But if you're going to have a 750 slugging percentage, you know, you could take that because he is just, he seems to be, you know, every time he touches one, it goes. And, and I think that was a big question, or I know it was a big question heading into the season is what are they going to do at third base? And, and we've seen, you know, he's had to flex out a little bit and, um, and play a little right field with, say, a Suzuki out and to give him those breaks, and we're seeing Madrigal over there at third every once in a while. But, you know, Wisdom has really taken ownership of, of a spot and being there in the lineup every day. And I think that, you know, being more consistent at the plate is not something I necessarily expected. But it was kind of one of those where you, you look at you okay, I think we know what the Cubs are here, here, and here. And if – wisdom can put it together boy that could be really good and so far in the early going that's exactly what's happened evan altman my guest here on chicago sports radio 670 the score is joining me on the circle resort casino in las vegas hotline home of the world's largest sports book you can find evan on twitter at d evan altman you can read all his work at real cubs insider or cubsinsider.com for wisdom to to hit the way he's been hitting has been awesome to see. The pitching staff as a whole has really been lights out. And I wonder specific with Marcus Stroman because some of the conversation coming into the season, coming out of spring training, was whether or not. You know, it's one thing, okay, if we expect him to be the best Cubs pitcher, then that should be the case. But whether or not if Marcus Stroman is your ace, then can your staff truly be elite? How would you say the – the, the data that we're continuing to collect on the way he's pitching early in this season here, is that adjusting at all the way that you view Marcus Stroman? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. I think there was a question there, uh, as you alluded to, is, is, you know, is he truly a number one or do you have an entire rotation made up of twos and threes, mm-hmm. right? And, and there was, you know, some question about it because last year he played a lot of the season injured with little nagging things. He had uh, the COVID IL stint and never really got on track until late in the season. Then we kind of saw, okay, this is what he can be. But I, I think when you're looking at a guy, what's most impressive is, you know, I'd, you'd still like to see maybe the walk numbers come down a, a little bit. He's walked at least two every start out there, but he's gone out. He's given him six innings every time. He's worked around the walks really well because he's getting grounders at a significant rate. And I think, for someone like that to, I mean, he's obviously outwardly a very confident person, and certainly he carries that with him onto the mound, but having that defense behind you, and I know we've talked and it's been brought up elsewhere, you know, about how the Cubs really look to upgrade up the middle of the field. And so for a guy who generates so many grounders, he's able to work around any of the hits that he does give up, and it hasn't been many, uh, and, and the, the walks are out there. So any of those base runners, 
they almost get erased immediately because he's able to get so many grounders to get those easy outs to get out of jams or to get double plays. So when you have, you know, Swanson and Horner out there just tracking everything down in the middle, and that allows him to really go out there and pitch a little bit more freely, you know, even more so than maybe he usually would. And I, I think this is something that they, they didn't have quite as much last year, and that allows him to really go out and be not, not just efficient, but to just be able to be himself and to know that, hey, if I do walk a guy, if I do give up a hit, I can just go ahead and wash my hands of that one because guess what? The next one is going to erase him from the bases. So uh, I think this is set up really well for him to excel based on his mix and getting that sinker down there. I remember we were talking during spring training specifically about Dansby Swanson and, and the way that the spring went for him. And now we just see a, I don't know, is this a version of Dan B. Swanson that was expected or had, had for the most part, has even been beyond what folks thought now that the regular season got here? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, it, it really looked like something clicked for him there late at the end. You know, he had a couple of those homers. And, and yeah. if you watched him, you know, that's, that's the thing about spring that's so tough is, and I know the games are broadcast uh, a lot more now. We get to, you know, back in the day, we'd only see maybe two or three of them, and, and all you get is a box score, and it's really difficult to discern what somebody's really doing. And and so I think with him, if you watched him, he, he didn't look like he was – it was just the timing was off a little bit. You know, the swing looked fine. He, he was moving well. And you saw that there at the end. He, he caught the timing. And, you know, outside of here just a couple games ago, you know, we saw him get into a, an ugly little stretch there where he, he struck out a bunch in a row. And that, and that swing and miss is still going to be a, a part of his game. Right, we we we're going to see that he's up there around twenty six, twenty seven percent, something like that now. I think, but the patience, you know, he, he drew three walks today. Um, he's just he's getting the bat on the ball, and there again, I, I think we we talk about I talk about Stroman having the confidence from Horner and Swanson behind him, and I think for a guy like Swanson, well, hey, you've got Nico Horner up there getting on base, stealing bases, putting him in position to be able to drive in those runs. And then you've got these guys behind you again. Ian Happ's hitting so well, and so um, and and Suzuki once he came along, and Bellinger's driving guys in. So when you have that ability, I, I think you know the pitch clock, the pace, moving as a shortstop, being involved in everything so often, and the same thing on the bases. That's got to be a great feeling for him to just be active and moving all the time. You're, you're not down. You're not waiting on something. And if you do screw up and you do have a couple of strikeouts. Well, guess what? This lineup's going to turn over again, and you're going to go get another crack at it pretty quickly. So, um, I, I really like what he's bringing, and it just—it sounds like from a clubhouse perspective too. Everybody just kind of has uh, has kind of gathered around him, and he's just acclimated really quickly into the clubhouse culture, and and kind of helped divide or drive that a little bit on his own too. So, I, I love what he's bringing, and this is—I uh, think it's right in line with what we expected, maybe a little bit better. Does Nick Madrigal bother you as much as he seems to bother everybody else? Ah, uh, you know, I, I, I think what bothers me is that I still feel like it. He he is such a square peg in a round hole for this team right now. Okay, you know, it's you love the hit tool like he had the one the other day where he he, he just plucked the ball out of the dirt and dumped it in for a little kind of. I don't remember if he ended up getting a second on that one or what. I think he dribbled one over there and kind of spun it out and, and got in. But 
then you see little things where, and I, and I guess, you know, it's, there's no more Rafael Ortega. There's no more Wilson Contreras. So somebody has got to make dumb mistakes on the bases now. <laughs> and you know, we saw him blow through a stop sign. Oh man, It did seems he? like he's a little too aggressive with the steals. So it's kind of like, yeah, I don't I just, you kind of know your role, you know, and, and you're not yeah. a speedster, right? So if you kind of back some of that off, but there again, he's, he's playing third base, which is not ideal. I mean, he's acquitted himself okay over there, I guess. Uh, you know, he, he makes the plays that he has to, but I don't know how that spot really works out because if Suzuki's in right every day and Patrick Wisdom needs to be at uh, at third every day and with them both being right-handed hitters, all three of those guys are right-handed hitters, you know, it's not like we got a platoon advantage you're trying to leverage there. So it doesn't bother me. Um, I, I just don't feel like there's a great fit for him in any kind of a regular role on this roster, the way it's, it's set up. Uh, too bad for old Nicky two strikes. Well, it'd be too bad for Nicky two strikes if he was on the bench somewhere, but it, when they're playing a bunch, it's too bad for the Cubs at times as well, but they are thriving despite having him out there making boneheaded mistakes on occasion. We know you will continue to have your watchful eye all over it. Evan, appreciate your time, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. That is Evan Altman of Cubs Insider on Twitter at D Evan Altman. Let me transition back to a little foosball. There's a, a conversation I began earlier in the show about the positions of need for the Chicago Bears in the draft. I was power ranking said positions. I will continue my rankings on the other side of this timeout. We're just a few minutes away from Corey Chavis of DraftNastyMagazine.com joining me as well. But I want to continue to give you some of my thoughts. On, on how the Bears should view things going into this draft. And I will also let you know how I view the D-line class in this draft and how I rank some of the specific prospects that the Bears will have an opportunity to go get. So we will get through the next, the rest of our number two, Corey Chavis at the top of our number three. And then I'm going to open up the phone lines at a certain point in my third hour with you as well. So stay tuned for that. But for right now, I want to get through more of my power rankings of positions of need. We'll do that as we close out our number two here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. Blitz. Fields throws to Herbert. Has blocking. Has a touchdown. is a blitz beater. Pressure by Judon and Wise. Gotta admit, you're getting used to the voices of Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, on Monday Night Football on ESPN as opposed to all the years they spent on Fox Sports. But our thanks to ESPN's Monday Night Football for that sound. That's Khalil Herbert. Touchdown he scored last season against the New England Patriots. A game that a lot of folks view as a a bit of a a line of demarcation, a line in the sand where things, offensively things for the Chicago Bears began to uptick in that particular game against a, a squad who had been performing like one of the better defenses in the National Football League. And Khalil Herbert, Scored that touchdown. He had 12 carries, 62 yards in that game. Had a catch for 25 yards and that touchdown that you heard there as well. And Justin Fields looked very composed and very efficient and certainly explosive in that game as well. And, you know, that was just the beginning of things. 
you know, kind of wait till they get a load of me situation the next few games after that as it related to Justin Fields. But the highlight you just heard there that Tyler Farringall played for you, the reason that we went with that highlight is because it relates directly to the position that I view as the number three position of need for the Chicago Bears. I talked about it earlier in the show. In my opinion, top position of need is not the offensive line. It is the defensive front, even with some of the acquisitions that the Bears have made at this point. I'm still more concerned with adding additional playmakers on the D-line than I am anywhere else on this roster as it sits right now. Now, number two on that list, in my opinion, is the offensive line. Now, Braxton Jones, definitely not a finished product, but I like the potential I've seen from him as a left tackle. Lucas Patrick looked terrible at both guards and got like a rep and a half at center before he got hurt in the one game that they actually were able to start him at center after his hand healed. Then he got hurt and didn't play again the rest of the year. So if they say they're willing to take a look at a Lucas Patrick who in 2022, I'm sorry, in 2021 was solid as a center, played well as a center in Green Bay in this offensive system with Luke Getze and Aaron Rodgers, then I'm willing to at least give that a try, give that a look with him at center. But they're at least insulated right now because reportedly they're moving Tevin Jenkins from right tackle to right guard and now to left guard. And I do think Tevin Jenkins will find himself in a position where he can perform at a high level moving over to left guard for the Bears because I certainly like the potential he showed there and the the level of play that we saw from Tevin Jenkins playing right guard last season. But they went out, spent, spent some money, got a road grader in Nate Davis as a right guard. So sounds like it will be Nate Davis at right guard. I like the way that sounds. Sounds like it'll be Tevin Jenkins at left guard. I like the way that sounds. Maybe it'll be Lucas Patrick, but if it's not, we have seen Cody Whitehair play center in the National Football League, and we have seen him do it pretty well. You know, Pro Bowl alternate, was that end up meaning in the long run? You know, I think people in general, certainly media members, don't know how to vote on the Pro Bowl. Players vote on it, and so that, that's a, a factor within the Pro Bowl voting. But I don't think center is his best position, but it, is it a position he can plausibly perform at a, a representative level for this Bear squad? I think it's worth a look. And like I said at the time, I'm glad they didn't just cut Cody Whitehair loose. They're going to give him a look at center as well. Right tackle? We'll see. We'll see. You know, I, I think it's – I'm comfortable with that being a wait-and-see approach. Somebody on the text line earlier asked me about Alex Leatherwood. It's good to have big bodies with physical potential that are there, that are part of your depth chart. In the end, Alex Leatherwood's going to have to play better football when he's actually on the football field before I feel great about the idea of him actually – being out there as a starter for the Bears, but for some additional competitive depth, just a body to be around, sure. He's, he's worth a look. He's a former first-round pick. He's a very physically gifted athlete. Can he play football at a high level? So far, the answer has been no, but I'm willing to, to stand by as they take a, a better look at Alex Leatherwood. you got Doug Kramer, who once he gets healthy, he'll try to get into that backup rotation as a center as well. He had a lengthy college career there, playing at a high level for the Illini. So there's, there's some options here up front. Number three position to me is running back. That's where, to me, I, I still think 
the Bears are in need of more explosive talent. They, they need, you know, I like Deontay Foreman. I like Khalil Herbert. I just, I think there's, there's more they need to add to be someone who can add some additional pass receiving ability, pass protection ability to be someone who can maybe grow into your, your full-time running back. Now, plenty of high-level offenses in the NFL get by without having someone who can, who can perform everything at a really high level as a running back. But that's where the play calling, the run blocking, the schematics of your offensive line really need to be able to step forward to make that happen. But then you also add in, you want your offense to function at a high level with some deception that, that really is aided within this rushing attack. And if you know Deontay Foreman can only do certain things well, you know there's certain things Khalil Herbert can't do well, then you can go into game plans kind of knowing what to expect just sheerly by the personnel on the field. You'd prefer that not to be the case. So there, there's things that both these individuals will have to improve at so you can at least keep the opposing defense off balance or you continue to add more talent. And preferably you add some talent with some home run ability. That's where some of these conversations like, hey, should they draft B. John Robinson in the top 10? Like There was a point where he would have been a no-doubt home run hire, a home run draft pick in the top 10 because of what he brings to the table. It's one thing I'm looking forward to talking to Corey Chavis about here, just the, the draft profile of B. John Robinson and, and whether or not in the modern NFL taking a guy like that in the top 10, how much sense – does it make, would it potentially even make sense for the Bears? I'm not there. I, I wouldn't necessarily love it as a pick. I wouldn't hate it either. We'll see what direction Corey Chavis can sway me on with that after a timeout. We'll, we'll talk some Bears draft. We'll talk some broader NFL stories as well with a man who played in the league for over a decade, Corey Chavis. We'll do that right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.